Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast. The dust has settled on an epic test match that took place at the Gabba over the weekend. The West Indies defeated Australia by eight runs in the second NRMA insurance test match. It all came down to the wire. Shamar Joseph was the match winner with seven wickets. And we've just been reveling in the glory and the ecstatic celebrations that West Indies have brought in the hours since. Uh, my name is Josh Shonafink. I'm joined by Louis Cameron, who's back for this episode. Louis, uh, what a magnificent victory that was by the tourists. Well, what a day of just cricket that we had. Like starting in the morning, we had the the Aussie women lose a, a game to South Africa for the first time ever. It was a stat that blew my mind that South Africa, who have been really good in the last few years in, in women's cricket, uh, made the World Cup final. They'd never beaten Australia in any format. I think it was in, in 22 games uh, across. Wild. Yeah, just wild, isn't it? So, yeah, that was one day as NT20 cricket inclusive. Uh, and then you, you think Australia should have this run chase covered and then Shamar Joseph just, you know, amazing kind of kind of stuff to bowl into victory. And then India um, lost a test match at home after having a 190-run <laughs> lead um, on, a, on a really awesome pitch that, that had a bit for everyone. Um, at different points um, and then you know kind of crossing sports I'm sure a lot of people kind of would have watched it but um, Sinner winning the Australian Open final over Medvedev um, was a bit of an upset as well coming down from um, from two sets to love down um, so it was kind of a, it was a crazy day Sunday wasn't it it was maybe not quite on the same level but the Socceroos as well got the job done over Indonesia in the Asian Did Cup they? so not quite, Did a, they? Right, not quite okay. an upset but uh, yeah. we'll give them some credit there as well uh, where do you want to start then? I mean, uh, we probably have to go straight to Shamar Joseph, the guy who rocked up to the ground on day four expecting not to play. He didn't even bother to bring his kit to the ground, but his captain, Craig Brathwaite, tapped him on the shoulder and said, mate, we need you out there. And boy, did he deliver once. He finally got his top, which uh, had to be retrieved from the team hotel. But yeah, he was straight into the action and straight into the wickets. Well, I, I might just throw this straight back at you, Josh, because you were the one who, who was there and you were there for the, the post-match stuff and... Um, it just looked like awesome kind of scenes at the end. Uh, maybe kind of going back to uh, the middle of the day. I was going to say start of the day, but it was actually kind of midday when all this <laughs> had happened. You kind of everyone talks about the morning session. It's actually the afternoon session for day night tests. Um, takes a bit of getting your head around. But um, so so he <laughs> and the, having the dinner break at uh, four o'clock as well. That's exactly what I think takes a bit to get your head around. Have we confirmed that it is? This is just off topic for a bit, but have we confirmed that first break is called the dinner break? Yeah, apparently it is, which right. makes no sense. But then again, it is cricket, so nothing has to make sense. No, I mean, surely that's the tea break, even if it is the longer break. That can be, you know, that's probably what the players are doing. They're having a, a spot of Earl Grey and then they'll have have their dinner, presumably <laughs> at, at uh, a reasonable hour, seven o'clock, something like that. Like they're not, they don't have toddlers. Anyway, actually, some of them do have toddlers, but they certainly weren't feeding them at, at four o'clock during this test. So my question to you, Josh, is... Uh, what was going on with Joseph when he so he 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 got cleared of having a, a broken toe the night before? Great news, but he still thought he wasn't going to bowl. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He, he he told us in the post-match press conference that he barely slept because he was in that much pain. He didn't get to sleep until probably three or four a.m. And so by the time morning came around, he was just uh, sulking, I guess, for lack of a better term, in his hotel room. And he got a call from the team manager and said, "Oh, you know, you better come down to the ground and support your team." And so he did that, but he only brought his training kit. He didn't bother about the whites or the bowling shoes or anything like that. And then, then we saw him about an hour before play going through the team warm-up and we thought, oh, well, maybe he will play. But even him at that stage just thought, oh, well, I'll just be out here and supporting my teammates and 
in their quest for victory. But a couple of moments later, Craig Brathwaite said, we need you. And then there was a bit of a mad scramble to get him onto the field. Initially, he was wearing uh, Zach McCaskey's, one of the reserve players, his shirt. How bad did um, that look? I th- that was this village <laughs> and then there was, this was beyond village. And then they decided to tape over the name and number because I don't know if, is there some sort of ICC rule that says you have to be playing in your own top? I'm not sure. But eventually, about 40 minutes later, they found his shirt, got it on him, got him into the bowling crease and the game changed instantly as soon as he was introduced. Well, yeah, some interesting kind of bits. I feel like there's a missing bit there where like he, he rocked up to the ground with only his training kit and all of a sudden the captain said, we want you to bowl. And then he was able to bowl. Like, And there was an interesting interview. I think it might have been with Caven Hodge, maybe at the at the dinner break, as, as, <laughs> yeah. as it's called, um, where he said, oh, you know, they're, they're giving him something and some magic juice and I hope that they continue giving him the magic juice and it keeps working. So. Have you had a word to him? How's that toe feeling? I think they, whatever they did to it, it's, it's starting to wear off, you know, so he's having a bit of pain. But, um, you know, whatever secret juice they gave him <laughs> before the break, hopefully he can get some more and then he can come back on the park. But, um, like I said, kudos to him. He's doing an amazing job. I wonder if there was a bit of medical finagling to, to be able to get him up um, to bowl. I mean, when he did <laughs> come on to bowl, like it, it kind of it happened a bit later than we thought. Like I was um, watching back. Uh, on the Channel 7 commentary, and Ricky Ponting is just saying, you need to get this guy on now because, you know, you don't know how long you're going to have him for. Uh, and they actually bowled Roach and Joseph for, for quite a long time. Um, and Smith and Green were, were looking pretty solid. Even Justin Greaves, their all-rounder, was getting plenty of overs before Joseph was given a look. And so that was, yeah, a bit confusing. But maybe they were just waiting for the painkillers to properly kick in mm. or something. Because And it was quite telling. I mean, in between overs, even though Joseph was steaming in and, you know, looking like he was unencumbered, between overs when he was at fine leg or square leg, he was really hobbling. Mm. I wonder if it's kind of like one of those ones, you know, when you stub your toe and or you kind of have a, a funny leg injury and running is actually okay, but it's when you, it's, it's the slower things, when you, you stop moving mm. and you and you start to walk, um, that can be the, the more difficult one. The thought, the bit I thought he might have trouble doing, so he's bowled the 10 overs before the dinner break um, and just, you know, what a spell. I'm sure everyone has probably, who's listening to this podcast has watched the, the highlights on cricket.com.au by now, but I just thought, I, I really thought Australia were going to be able to get with Hazelwood and, and Lyon and Smith, of course, I thought they'd be able to get the runs because I just thought, well, Joseph, he's not going to have anything left in the tank after that. Like, he's bowled 10 overs on the trot. Amazing effort to get, was it five or six wickets by that point? Um, but yeah, six, yeah. He's not going to be able to warm himself up to the degree to, to bowl, you know, to, to get those extra couple of wickets. Um, it was almost more impressive that he was able to bowl another, uh, what was it, another 11 balls after the break uh, and, and get the last wicket. Yeah, so he's hobbled up the race after the dinner break and he's decided that uh, he wants to sign some autographs. The kids are there leaning over the fence and so he thinks, oh, yeah, that'll do that. And that's the perfect preparation, it seemed. The other thing that we found just incredibly, I don't know what the right word is, bizarre, but Alzari Joseph got Nathan Lyon in the first over after the dinner break. The entire court and they all celebrated as Josh De Silva took the catch and Joseph just stood there. You know, motionless, yeah. as if nothing exciting was happening. His whole team mobbed him, and he just gave the uh, stone face celebration. Well, he's he's an odd cat, and there was a lot of back and forth. <laughs> I, I, we haven't quite got to the bottom of this, but Mitchell Stark and him were going at it in the first innings when I'm trying to think if that was Australia bowling. Uh, I think it might have been uh, when Joseph was batting, uh, and then Hazelwood got him. 
uh, in West Indies first innings with a bat and gave him a little bit or just you know said something to him on the way off. And then when Stark was batting in Australia's second innings, there was a little bit of chirp going back and forth. So we might have to get uh, one of the fast bowlers on to explain that one at um, a future <laughs> point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they'll share all the secrets that get sold out on the field, Lou, especially if you're <laughs> on board. Um, we saw Shamar Joseph take the final wicket, huge celebrations. He was player of the series. We saw the captain, Brathwaite, then give a little drive-by to Rodney Hogg as well at the <laughs> post-match press conference, which was just unbelievable. Um, extremely proud. Um, I must say, we had two words, you know, that inspired us in this last match. Mr. Rodney Hogg said we're pathetic and hopeless. So, my, so, so that was our inspiration. We wanted to show the world we're not pathetic. And I must ask him, are these muscles big enough for him? It's a fair response. Has anyone checked on Rodney Hogg yet? That's the, that's the follow-up <laughs> story that we haven't had yet. Rodney Hogg defends his reputation. I mean, that's out of all the people, like, you know, teams do this, right? Like sporting teams, they find a little bit of motivation or normally it's a coach, right? Like he'll come in and he'll, he'll stick in the old days or stick the newspaper up on the whiteboard. And, you know, this is what they're saying about you. You need to go out and prove them wrong. Uh, and then, you know, you get the old like David Boone in that, you know, um, Mercantile Mutual Cup game, giving big <laughs> ones to the to the media when he scores 100 and that kind of like this isn't new but like normally you kind of you'd probably find a a very well-respected cricket journalist or you know maybe even someone back from the caribbean who'd um who they know and who's who's written them off but rodney hogg that no disrespect to him but like i didn't even know he'd said those things about him yeah well uh apparently the west indians are keeping very close tabs on all the criticisms that are coming their way at the minute but it was a fantastic win and where does it rate lou in terms of as you know great visiting victories by overseas teams to australia because there haven't been a lot in recent years and this has to be right up there well i was kind of scrambling doing the live blog yesterday and we kind of thought we'd get a bit more time to kind of get our thoughts in order for it all (laughs) but um and i kind of got back i was kind of like looking back at um you know filtering through overseas uh teams winning tests in australia and i went back to i think got back to 1981 and um there was a, a pakistan team beat australia in the early 80s when australia were pretty good pakistan had imran khan so i kind of think well that's not that much of an upset if you've got one of the greatest all-rounders of all time in your team uh you know england won a couple of ashes tests along the way but a lot of them were dead rubbers um i mean the, uh, the closest comparison and i still don't think it's entirely fair is the the gaba test that you were at in 2021 so what three years ago now when India had all those guys injured and, um, and you know, a bowling attack that was basically their third choice uh, and won on the last day. You know, that, that team still had Rishabh Pant. They still had um, Ajinkya Rahane as captain. I know Kohli and Boomer and Ashwin and Jadeja were all missing, but there was still a lot of experience and you just kind of think any Indian team, um, as magical and amazing as improbable as it was, I just reckon with the amount of inexperience in this West Indies team like we were all talking before this summer like oh god the windies are back like um you know it's no one was looking forward to this series and now we're at the point where we want more we want another test Pat Cummins (laughs) at the end of it was saying I'm really disappointed that we're not going to get a deciding test like so much credit has to go to Craig Brathwaite um had a poor series with the bat but you know to to lead a team like that to victory shows a lot as a as a skipper and it also makes you uh it, make, it makes you smile when you see past west indian greats you know breaking down and 
tears welling up in their eyes as well, doesn't it? I mean, we saw Brian Lara, Carl Hooper, uh, Ian Bishop, you know, a whole host of guys who have been part of their broadcast setup this summer. Um, and for the for them to react so emotionally to this win, it shows that you know it means a lot to a lot of people. It does, yeah. And I think there's a recognition from those guys as well that they need to use this as um, even currency, if that's the right word, to play more tests and to find a way to make test cricket more palatable for West Indies. I mean, you know, this tour, I feel like I've learned a little bit more about what it takes for the West Indies to even get a team together. Um, and we know, like, for example, Jason Holder missed his series, Kyle Mayers missed his series, both guys who would be in their first-choice team. They were off playing in T20 leagues in the Middle East. Who can blame them? You know, they, they make a lot more money doing that. And those Holder especially has put in a lot of time, you know, playing test cricket when financially it would have made a lot more sense for him to go play T20 cricket somewhere else. So um, it costs them money to host games in the West Indies. It costs them money to play cricket overseas. We all love test cricket because of what happened yesterday in at the Gabba and, you know, also what happened at Hyderabad. Um, what happened at Hyderabad will keep happening. You know, England, Australia and India, they're, they're fine. Like test cricket works well with those countries. Um, I think there's a real recognition now that um, those three countries need to do more to make sure the West Indies are sustainable. Um, and, you know, we've heard Nick Hockley talk about it, um, you know, and, and even the ACA are really committed to this. So um, let's kind of hope they put their, um, their money where their mouth is, I suppose, over the next couple of years. Yeah, well said. Um, and riding high off his victory, Shamar Joseph also said in the post-game press conference how committed he is to test cricket. Why don't we just have a listen to that particularly strong quote about his uh, commitment to the team? Uh, I would always be available to be able to play for the West Indies, no matter how much money it takes or come towards me. So I would always be here to play test cricket. So big words, uh, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come hope to regret. Um, any of those words at that certain point. Not suggesting you would, but, you know, who, who knows what the future holds and um, what could be. But I, I kind of want to touch a little bit upon um, some of the bowlers that have had success against Australia over the last couple of summers. And I just found it really interesting um, looking at uh, Jamal, uh, who, ha- who bowled the house down for Pakistan, took 18 mm. wickets in three tests. Um, Joseph took 13 wickets in, in two tests. Even going back a couple of summers now, um, Mark Wood took 17 wickets in four tests. You know what they all have in common is uh, they're all under six foot tall. So Mark Wood is 183 centimetres, so right on about six foot. Some might call him a Collingwood six-footer, so he's not quite, you know, he's just about there. Uh, Jamal is 175 centimetres, which is five foot nine. And Joseph mm-hmm. is 172 centimetres, which is five foot six. Um, hope I got those conversions right. Um, they're really short bowlers, and you look at the Australian attack; all of them are, are huge. I mean, you saw them up close this week, Josh. But you know, Hazelwood six six, Stark's about the same. Pat Cummins maybe a touch shorter at six foot four. You know, we really prioritised tall, fast bowlers, athletic fast bowlers, bouncy fast bowlers in Australia because we know. Typically, you need the extra height and bounce to get guys out on placid surfaces. That's kind of how test cricket's gone in the last, um, you know, maybe prior to a couple of summers ago. I wonder now whether they need to look at that. If, if wickets are going to be as... I'm not saying drop one of those three bowlers. They're all-time fast bowlers, um, <laughs> you know. just But in terms of what we're looking for in, in fast bowlers going forward, because we are going to have to replace those three guys... Um, in the next couple of years, um, they're all you know over thirty, and Stark and Hazelwood are uh, closer to thirty-five than thirty. 
do, do we need to look more at the Scott Boland type bowlers who maybe hit the stumps a little bit more, um, get a bit more of that sideways seam movement, even your, your Jai Richardsons? Because I think if we keep playing on wickets uh, that do offer more for the fast bowlers, maybe there is a premium on hitting the stumps. It's mm, a great point. I mean, they all bowl probably over 140 as well, wouldn't you say? Um, so yep. the shorter, skiddier guys, is that because pitches are a bit more lively here? I mean, we heard during the week, say, Steve Smith and the like saying how much harder it is to bat in Australia than it was five or six years ago. Yeah, so that's the first bit. The pitches have become more fast bowler friendly uh, in Australia. And I think it's been a great change. Like, I think tests, they're not, you know, maybe apart from the, the Gabba against South Africa where we had the two-day test, that was too far um, towards the bowlers and I think everyone kind of acknowledged that but for the most part curators have done a really good job you know this wicket I thought was was pretty good um, yeah. against new balls hard to bat flattened out and then you know sometimes under lights it got a bit hard to, to bat again um, just with the pink ball but yeah I guess the, the the theory is you know going back a decade ago and even thinking you know think about that test at the Wacker where um, you know New Zealand made 600 and Australia made 700 and um, we needed a bowling attack was like Hazelwood, Stark and Johnson. It was just like you need raw pace and guys in good bowl bounces to blast teams out. I think Johnson retired on the back of that test, didn't he? <laughs> exactly, right, exactly, yeah. And so you needed those kind of bowlers back then to, you know, blast through um, opposing teams. And, uh, you know, and so that, that height, you know, can be really helpful in the pace. But um, I just wonder now whether, you know, shorter and skiddier bowlers hit the stumps a bit more often um, who, who are accurate uh, and can just challenge that that yeah top of the stumps a little bit more. I wonder if they're more valuable than they have been in the past. Um, you know, not it's it's not a thing on Stark comes and Hazelwood because they've record uh, when they're playing in the same team over the last few years. Australia are doing very very well, but I guess my point is I don't think it's a prerequisite that you need to be tall to play for Australia as a fast bowler. It's mm, a great point. And yeah, shout out to the curators who have absolutely nailed it so far this season. Uh, as we move on to the Detol ODI series against the West Indies, that takes place on February 2, 4, and 6. So very close uh, matches there. Uh, no Shamar Joseph in the West Indies squad, unfortunately, but we do have some fresh faces in the Australian ODI squad, including Xavier Bartlett, Jake Fraser McGurk. Uh, Lance Morris, who's been around the test squad, and also Will Sutherland, who's a Victorian Shield captain. Lou, uh, I guess we're going to see some debutants in this series. We are, yeah, and I'm it, I'm looking forward to, to this series. It's kind of always good to see what the next crop of players down are, are doing and getting their chance. You know, at home, we kind of see it a lot with uh, some of the overseas tours, thinking back to that South Africa one last year, and you got a lot of guys making their de- debut, but that was a little bit off-Broadway. There should be a bit more spotlight on them now especially after the you know finish of the test summer that we had um i was kind of going through the team before and trying to figure out you know who fits in where obviously you got travis head opening the batting the world cup hero matt short's probably in that opening position that david warner's vacated smith and manas at three and four with no mitch marsh he's resting uh and then you're probably looking at two of mcgurk green and hardy in that middle order at five and six and then inglis is the wicket keeper uh, and then the bowlers are a really interesting lot. Sean Abbott, Xavier Bartlett, Will Sutherland, uh, Lance Morris, as you mentioned, and Zampa. You're probably picking four of those five, uh, you know, unless you want to play the extra batter with, um, sorry, the extra bowler and Sean Abbott goes up to seven. But 
um, yeah, some some really interesting. Uh, it's an interesting time for one day cricket for Australia. Like the next thing is the Champions Trophy um, next year. That's about twelve months away. It's you know, I don't know. It's a Champions Trophy. I guess it's important. You know, once they, once they get there, they'll be thinking about it. But um, it kind of happens like this now with white ball cricket. Like it was all about ODI cricket last year, and now it's kind of all about T Twenty a little bit more with the World Cup in that format coming up in uh, in June. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, it is the first chance for the Aussie public to get a look at their side after winning that World Cup in November, I suppose. But yeah, as has been touched on, quite a few of the World Cup winning squad are missing, including Marsh, Maxwell, Cummins, Hayeswood, Stark. So, oh, and Warner, of course. So it's going to look a little bit different, but uh, the bones are still there and it's still going to be a great contest. Shy Hope is going to come and captain the West Indies. He's got an unbelievable ODI record. He's Mm. a fantastic player. Very good to watch and quite a few players there who you saw, Lou, when you were over in the West Indies, including Hayden Walsh Jr., very exciting leg spinner. He's got a really interesting backstory, Hayden Walsh. He, um, he took a lot of wickets against Australia in those uh, T20 series, uh, in that T20 series from memory. It's a long time ago now, 2021. There was a, a funny old COVID <laughs> tour, that one in, in the Caribbean. Um, so, yeah, they, they're, um, you know, they didn't qualify for the last World Cup, so they've got a bit of a... A point to prove. I'm really interested in seeing um, Fraser McGurk as well. Like, I'd, he's just kind of come from the blue, right after moving from Victoria to South Australia, where um, you know his record with Victoria wasn't great. He only got offered a rookie contract uh, at his home state. You know, made the big move to to go across there and has dominated the the big bash. And um, of course, in this format, set um, set a world record in I think it was September playing at Karen Rolton Oval. Uh, can he do it against the West Indies at the, uh, at the MCG? Is is now the question for him? Um, and uh, he's just you know like when he was playing in the Big Bash this season, like I I just wanted to watch him. He was kind of the the box office viewing. So um, hopefully they can kind of get the best out of him. It kind of seems like a everyone compares him a bit to Glenn Maxwell a bit in in terms of being a, a bit of a maverick, a bit of a, a different thinker about his batting. Um, you know, hopefully they can really harness that in the right way. Yeah, if he's at the crease for more than 20 overs, you know he's going to be on a big score. That's just the way he goes about it. So great to watch. I'm predicting a big series for Aaron Hardy. I reckon he's had a fan- another fantastic big bash captaining the Scorchers, and I reckon he's ready to make his mark at international level. So looking forward to seeing him get a go in the ODI squad as well. Uh, Lou, thanks for joining me on this edition of the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, of course, the spirit of Australia. I guess we'll uh, touch base again at some point during the ODIs. Chat to you soon, Josh.